just a blessing to be able to be in your presence, just to be here on earth. And we thank God for that today. Here, just getting in last night, excited still. Uh, got in last night, got in the bed about 2 o'clock this morning. I am now officially a San Diegan. <laughs> I am officially a San Diegan, so everything is moved. Everything is here. Uh, just happy today. Even got new additions that are now San Diegan. My daughter is here with her husband, my daughter Malachi, her husband. She just graduated from Valparaiso University in Indiana, and she will be taking her master's degree at Point Loma. So she's a San Diegan now. Uh, my son, Glendon, who just graduated from high school, he's going back to Indiana to Valpo in August. And my wife, Carla, is here with us uh, here today. So we're just happy. We're happy. I can finally say I'm going to get to work now. So... The new role as the international missions pastor now has begun. So I want to start off this morning with something that I'm sure we all are used to. And I'm making a mess of my clicker here. There we go. It is moving. With a scripture I'm sure we're all familiar with. Bishop uses this scripture all the time. And it's a good place to always get started. 2 Timothy 3.16. And we're going to read this scripture and then we're going to pray. The scripture, let's all read it together. One, two, three, read. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way through the Word. We are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. So now I want everybody to look at each other and say this to the person next to you that God has an assignment for you. Let's say it one more time. God has an assignment for you. Let's pray real quickly. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this day. Father, we ask that as we go into your word today, your word becomes a magnifying glass to us. Father, we ask that your word will just go into our hearts, go into our heads and down to our hearts so that we can produce the change that is needed to do the calling that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, this morning, I just want to start off and, and tell you a little bit. I'm playing with this clicker still for a while here. I guess you can just move it to the next slide. Uh, I want to talk about journey for a couple of minutes, and I can only talk about my journey. That's the only journey that I know. Uh, 22 years ago, I always got to go back 22 years. Most people say, well, you've pastored 14 years, but it really goes back 22 years. Seven of those years, I was a fugitive. I ran. Some of you all in here may know what I'm talking about. God tells you a calling, and you really think you can run from God, and I think God had to show me Psalms 139, that wherever you go, I am here. Uh, you can't get away. And so finally, in getting started with that calling, one of the things I know for sure, and with all of us in here, is that God has a purpose for us, and that calling is clear. That calling rings out. But one of the things I've learned about my calling, and you may be even if you're just going through yours, uh, I'm used to whenever I'm asked to do something to know everything. So I, I kind of thought God would do that with me. You know, he had a calling, and he would tell me what the whole thing is. But how many of us know that when you are answering the call of God, he does not work like our friends. He usually does not tell us everything. And so as I got started, I got started in ministry, no seminary training, 
no understanding, just basically following God's call. And the funniest thing, whenever I talk to ministers now, I say, I remember when it was time for us to do our first communion service. And I sat in the office and basically opened my Bible and read, what did Jesus do? And, Mike, I read it step by step, and I said, okay, well, if Jesus did it this way, I'm going to do it this way. And, and I went out, scared to death, and we had our first communion service with no real understanding, just following the instructions from the Bible. And guess what happened? Some people got saved. And I was like, wow, that is great. That is great. So I began to follow what God was calling me to do. And from that service, I wanted to share with you real quickly three things that you got to get. Now, these are the intro slides, so get ready. This is not on your intro paper, so you're going to want to write this down. There's three things I've learned about my journey when it comes to the calling of God. And here we go. First slide. The first thing you learn is you have to have a commitment to God. You've got to realize that when you have a calling with God, there is a commitment to that calling. And when I say that commitment, what I mean is it's not something you do today and then next week you don't do it. I heard Pastor Mike say something that was so profound. There are so many people that serve God based on their feelings. But as much as I studied the Bible, I never saw it anywhere where God says, I want you to serve me according to the way that you feel. Because guess what? In all human terms, there are some times where we just don't feel it. Where it's just sometimes where I say, you know what, I'm just tired today. You know, this is just one of those days. It's hot outside today. You know, in Chicago, it's cold outside. You know, it's just one of those days you just don't feel like it. You open up the door, and there's no sun. And it's like, where's the sun? I just don't feel it today. But God never calls us to serve him based on the way that we feel. So the first thing you've got to say, are you committed? Are you committed to do this thing in season and out of season, when you feel like it and when you don't? And so the scripture I look at with that, which is the next slide, Philippians 1 and 6, kind of helps us understand this whole commitment with God. Being confident of this very thing. Let me tell you, one of the things that I learned in the beginning when I first started, I was confident that God had called me to do this. Now, I wasn't confident to the point that I thought that maybe where I was, God was calling me. But I was confident that God had called me to do this. Right now, we just left Chicago a couple of days ago, and Chicago is really dealing and gripping with this whole thing of violence. There have been 1,615 shootings as of yesterday, 242 people that were died, that have died, and actually the last killing was done at 248 Garfield Boulevard, West Garfield Boulevard. New season Chicago is 600 West Garfield Boulevard. We were on our way to the church and actually to a corner to make peace. And for a lot of folks, they say, make peace, what do you mean? Well, our Bible in Luke 10, God says for us to take peace. We're not peacekeepers, we're peacemakers. So wherever we want peace to go, we took it. And so three weeks ago, we decided that we weren't going to just sit in there as the church. We're going to go out on the corner, and we went to the police command and said, when is the worst time that this corner is the hottest? And he looked at us, and he says, from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning. And I said, we'll be there. And so from 9 p.m., to 1 a.m. in the morning, a group of people stand on the corner. We hold up signs that say, hunk your horns for peace. And every hour we would stop and we would pray. And on the third hour, we would take communion. And we did this for three straight weeks. On Memorial Day, there were 68 shootings, nine people dead. 
And when the commander drove by that Friday, he jumped out the car and he, and he looked at us. He says, I want to let you guys know this. With all of the crime that has happened in Chicago, throughout Chicago, nothing has happened on this corner. And we looked at each other and we says, we have taken God's peace to that corner. And we seal it with the blood of Jesus Christ through communion. And so every Friday night, there's a group of people that go out on that corner that says, we're not going to be peacekeepers. But we're peacemakers. We're going to take the peace of God to this corner. And it has just been working. And we say we're going to do that every Friday night to September 4th, Labor Day. And the commander said, you guys are going to come out here every week? Yeah, we're going to be out here every week. So that we want lasting peace to be on that corner. You've got to be committed to that. It says being confident that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of the Lord. One of the things you've got to remember is God gives us the present today. That's why it's called the present for us to better ourselves. So the first thing you've got to be is you've got to be committed to God. The second one, the next slide, is the commitment to the word of God. You've got to be committed to, I killed it, Uh uh-oh. Point two, write it down, I killed it, is the commitment to the word of God. So you want to write that down until he gets it started, the commitment to the word of God. Let's get the commitment to the word of God. So what do we mean when we say this? What I'm saying is, is this, let the word of God do what it does. It saves. The word of God saves. So many of us, we try to figure out what's the right thing should we say, how should we do it. In many cases, all you got to do is take God's words there, and God's word does exactly what it says. It saves. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Look at the next slide. The next slide is Matthew 24, 35. And Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. What do I mean when I say that? One of the things that I've learned in ministry and really ministering in in, in inner city communities is this. You have to be able to relate to the people that you're talking to. But the fear is, is this. Most folks don't understand methods change, but the message never changes. You can change the methods that you reach people, but the word of God never changes. And so when I say that, what I say is, is this. We can't preach what is popular. We have to preach what is biblically right. There are a lot of people that take the word and they will preach what is popular, what will draw people. And the word of God tells us in the time that we live, people have itchy ears. They will be drawn to what is popular. But real change comes from what is right. The next one, and this is the last one. Now, what can we do with the word of God? Here you go. You might want to write it down. Only three things we can do with it. Number one, we can preach it. And preach it basically means tell them. And a lot of guys, and a lot of us as Christians, we love to preach to people. We just love it. We look for an opportunity. Some folks really take their Bibles to learn the word so that they will get an opportunity to preach. Let me go out and tell somebody something. But the next thing you can do is you can teach it. And what is teaching the word? Teaching the word is showing them. Show them. Once you tell me something, show me how to do it. Most of us fail because we've heard the word, but nobody's shown us how to implement the word, how to use it. And then the last one is the hardest one because that's the one where most people struggle. We love to tell it. We love to show it. But we don't want to live it. And what is living it? 
living it is basically this, and I've been saying this to folks for years. Don't ever say a scripture that you're not living. Don't never turn around to a person and read a scripture that when it reads it, it comes right back to you like a boomerang, and you're not living it. So what I always say is when you read a scripture, put it into your heart, and when you're living it, now you have the right to tell it. And for a lot of us, we need to understand that. And why is that so important? We live in a broken generation. This is the most broken generation in history. And here's what they're saying to us. I don't need to hear another sermon. I need to see a sermon. I don't need to hear another person tell me what Jesus did. You show me. Let me see someone who's living like Jesus. The last one, point three, is a commitment to God's people. And when God calls you to something, there's a commitment to his people. This past Thursday is... Last Sunday, I, I had a chance to do part of my last sermon. We did it together and combined three churches together. Uh, this Thursday, they surprised me and Carl and our family, and they had a, uh, we thought we were coming for the last midweek service, and they basically was throwing a party, telling us, hey, we love you, and folks stood up to the mic, and they tried hard as they could to get us to cry. And I said, nope, nope, I'm holding it, I'm holding it. And they went to just to share the stories of, you know, and so many folks, one, one of the young guys says, I'm just going to be honest with you, Pastor, I'm just not happy to see you go. I'm not going to stay and say, I'm just not happy, but I know you've got to do what God has called you to do. And when, when we got finished with that day, and me and Carl, and we reflected, and we had a chance to sit and eat with everyone, and the last thing that they did to me was the most touching thing. The church got together to commission us, to call us their missionaries. They're going out into the world for us. And as Pastor Ferguson and the church gathered around to pray for us, to say, we're sending you out from us. Do what God is calling you to do. And I had shared with them in my talk as Carla talked to them, and I shared with them and said, listen, some of you all are, are going through a grieving process. You're used to us being there with you. But in the scriptures, Jesus had showed me to show them that I was really a blocking for them that you have to let me go to do what God is calling me to do because if you don't let me go, then the next level that God is trying to take you to is blocked. I'm the person blocking your next level from where you're trying to go. So as Jesus told the disciples that I must go, and that service was just to the key for us. And the hardest part about that is this point with us in our lives, a commitment to God's people. See, a lot of folks come into ministry, and a lot of folks want to go into ministry and when they come into a church, they're already looking for the next opportunity. You guys know what I'm talking about. A musician who comes in to play, and, and he may come, and, 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 and he looks at the church, but he's already got his eyes on the church across the street that has a larger congregation, and better. there's a better opportunity for him. And so a lot of folks come into ministry with what I call a resume already in their pocket. They're not committed to the people that God gave them. They're already looking across the street to the better opportunity that's there. And if you're ever going to do something for God, you've got to have a commitment to God's people. And the problem with that is, guys, you've got to write this down. You've got to write this down. Is that we fall into what's called the comparison trap. 
Well, we always look across the street. Come on, we've all heard this statement where the grass is greener on the other side. And so a guy comes in and, and maybe he's the pastor of the church. He's called the pastor of the church. And, and, and the church is now at 45, 50 members. And he's looking across the street or he's looking on the television. And he sees the preacher on television. And there's 5,000 people in the audience. And he's saying, God, I wish I had that opportunity because he's not committed to the people that God has called. I remember that happened to me. I remember sitting on a stump like this in the beginning when we first planted our church with eight people. And when I walked in that community, I said, oh, my God, God, what are you calling me to? And let me tell you guys, I say this to people all the time. I begin to repent and say, God, what did I do to get into this place? And God had to show me through my own prayers and through the word that everybody doesn't get the cushy calling. Some people have to get the Jeremiah calling, and I would not have called you if you could not do it. And from that point on, God began to show me that you have to have a commitment to whoever I put you to. You got to be committed to that group. And let me tell you the scripture that he showed me with that. And here's the scripture for it real quick. Do not despise these small beginnings. The comparison trap comes from us not understanding that everything you go through, God teaches us. A lot of folks despise small beginnings. A lot of folks, you know, we like the fact when we got the 14-room home, but we forgot the fact when we had the small little studio apartment with the little washroom you had to turn like this to go into. We despise the small things. Everybody wants to run before they crawl. And God wants us to understand that that's an important thing that we have to understand. Don't despise small beginnings. Now, let's get to our outline because I'm sure y'all saying, hold it, I've been writing. None of that's on the outline. Well, let me tell you, that's just the intro to the sermon. So let's get to the sermon. Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. Next slide. Next slide is something very important. As the mission pastor of New Seasons Church, I want to let you guys know that if you're in this room today and you're unemployed, I've got a job opportunity for you today. On behalf of Jesus Christ today, Jesus is telling us all today, help wanted. Help wanted. He's saying the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And so today, real quickly, I want to talk to you about what is he saying when he said this. Now, this point I began to ponder on because every day I remember, and I told my wife this was like three weeks ago, I used to have all these alerts on my phone. All the local news stations, Fox News, ESPN. So when you follow me all day long, my phone just went boop, 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 boop. Because any type of breaking news that takes place, they send you a notification on, on your phone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They tell you right away, you get that notification, breaking news. And in Chicago, what was happening was every time there was a shooting, every time there was something going on, my phone was going off every day to the point where I said, okay, I can't, I, I don't want to see it anymore. So I turned off all my notifications. And I went to God and I said, what in the world is going on? What is going on? Shootings everywhere, every place. What is going on? There seems like there's just no love for people. And then we go into politics and they bring hatred and everything. What is going on? And then I began to think, Lord, what would you do if you were in this society? What would Jesus do if he lived in this society? What would Jesus do if he lived at this time? And the Lord took me to the next slide, Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. It's in your outline. And it says, this is what I would do. If I was in your scenario. So if you're looking at it from your outline and it's from the Living Bible, it says Jesus traveled around through all the cities and villages of the area, 
teaching in Jewish synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And wherever he went, he healed people of every sort of illness. And what pity he felt for the crowds that came because their problems were so great that they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is so great and the workers are so few, he told his disciples. So pray that the one in charge of harvesting and ask him to recruit more workers for his harvest field. I like that end part. He says, so pray to the one in charge of harvesting. I want you to put on the word harvesting, the one who's in charge of hiring. And ask him to recruit more workers for his harvest field. So let, let, let me just real quickly go through this. What would Jesus do if he was living in a time like this? And this is a missional message from the missional pastor. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in El Cajon? What would Jesus do in Spring Valley, Lemon Grove? What would Jesus do if he was walking in these situations? How many of you all ever think about that? I do. I think about it all the time because I don't know about you all, but I know the local church is the hope for the world. It's not going to come from a politician. It's not going to come from a, a business person. It's not going to come from a person. The hope for the world comes from Jesus Christ. And so if that help doesn't come from above, it will not come. So let's look at it. The first point here, number one, he would be concerned. That's your first blank. What would Jesus do if he was in this area? He would be concerned. And then, just to finish this story for you, the shooting that happened on Friday night, four blocks from our church, we didn't find out until early Saturday morning, but it was a brother of a member of our church. We found out that the man that we saw, that as we drove past the church and all the yellow tape was up and the bodies covered in the alley was a brother of one of the members of the church. Let me help you out. If Jesus was in Chicago Friday night, he would have been concerned. He wouldn't have just driven by. He wouldn't have just said, oh, well, that's just another scenario. Jesus would truly be concerned. Let me prove it to you. Next slide. Verse 35, look what it says. Jesus traveled around all the cities and villages of the area, teaching in Jewish synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and healed wherever he went. He healed people of every sort of illnesses. Jesus cared about people. And let me tell you, I know for a fact, because if right now we had a testimony service about how many of you all have met Jesus, I believe right now that would be pushing and shoving right now to get the mic in the church, Pastor Mike. I believe the first person that would be pushing up here would be a little short guy by the name of Zacchaeus. He'd be coming up here to the pulpit, pushing me aside, Pastor Bone, Pastor Bone, excuse me, excuse me, uh, can I testify? He would say, I was a little short, little scrawny little man. Really stealing on my job as a tax collector. But I heard about this man, Jesus, who was passing by. And because I was so short, I couldn't see him. I crawled up in a tree because I said to myself, if I could just get a glimpse of this man, I would be okay. But you know what he did? He didn't just pass me by. He stopped at my tree. He pointed up to me. And here was the most amazing thing. He called me by name, Zacchaeus. Come down. Today, salvation has come to you. And you won't believe it. He went to my house and had dinner. Jesus cared about people. I think another person who would come up here and push us would be blind Barnabas. Blind Barnabas would say, hey, 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 
Pastor Bone, can I testify? He said, listen, when I met Jesus, I had no eyesight, but I had insight. And so what I told my friends was, I said, you, you, you're not talking about that guy Jesus who, who's been healing the sick and, and helping the land. You're not talking about that guy. They said, yeah, we're talking about that guy. And so then he says, here's what I want you to do. I can't see. But when he gets close enough to me, can you let me know that he's walking close to me? And so could you see blind Barnabas standing there? He couldn't see. He had no eyesight, but he had insight. And his friend nudging him, saying, he's right here. And he hollers out, Jesus, son of God. And he said, you know what he did? He looked at me and he said, do you want to see? And I said to him, do the Cubs want to win the World Series? And he reached out and touched my eyes. And I could see. See, Jesus cared about people. Jesus just didn't walk by and, you know, there's another blind guy. There's another. He cared about people. This scripture tells us that he healed folks. The last person I believe would come up there because, you know, we got to have equal opportunity would be the lady at the well. She would be squeezing. Get out of my way, Zacchaeus. Man, you can see now, Barnabas. Move out the way. It's my turn. And she would stand up there and she would say, you know, one day I was going to the well. I couldn't go to the well at the normal hours like normal people because of my lifestyle. You know, I had a thing with the men and, 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 and they didn't want me around at that time. So I would go out in the hot of the day because I get thirsty like everybody else. And believe it or not, this man, Jesus, came up to me to talk to me. Now, I know you may say, well, hey, no big thing. You were around men all the time. But no, this was different. He was a Jew. Jews didn't talk to Samarians. Matter of fact, they would walk three miles to walk around our town three whole days to make sure they had no contact with us whatsoever. But this Jew stood at the well and found it important to talk to me. He said something crazy to me that I thought it was crazy. I just wanted a cup of water. He asked me for a cup and said to me, that he would give me water that I would never thirst again. Now, I thought it was crazy because I said, if you knew where that was, could you please give it to me? That way I don't have to be ridiculed by coming through these people. And then this man began to tell me everything about my life. He told me not to go and tell anybody. So you know what I did. I got so excited, I left my cup, went back to my village, and started to tell them, hey, let me tell you about a man. And my neighbors looked at me and said, oh, my God, another man? And I said, no, not like that. A real man who told me all about my life. See, Jesus cared about people. So the first thing I know about him is he would be concerned. Let's look at the second one. The next slide tells us this. He would show compassion on people. Jesus just wouldn't walk up and and give you a few kind words and walk on, be blessed, my brother, and walk on. Jesus had compassion. When I say he had compassion, what did he have compassion for? He had compassion for their lostness, their hurts, their predicaments. Jesus cared. Let's look at verse 36, the next slide. Look what it says. It says, and what pity he felt for the crowds that came, because their problems were so great. Please underline that their problems were so great. He has nowhere to stay. He has no food to eat. He's unemployed. He's trying to raise his family. There are predicaments, man. He said, because their problems were so great, and look at the second part, and they didn't know what to do or where to go to get help. They were like a sheep 
without a shepherd. A shepherd in this story, and a shepherd in the Bible would give his life for a sheep. Think about this. When I go to Chicago, I always think about this. This city is full of sheep, full of sheep that have no shepherd. And whenever a sheep is out without a shepherd, there's a chance for that sheep being hurt or killed all the time. And matter of fact, many of us have seen that pretty picture of Jesus with a little lamb around his neck. You've seen that. In those cases, when you read and you really look that up, that's a lamb whose legs have been broken. He's been disobedient so long that they would break the lamb's leg so that the lamb would be around the neck of the shepherd and get used to walking with the shepherd so that when that lamb could walk again, he would stay close to the shepherd. Jesus cared about people. In this community, El Cajun, Spring Valley, and I'm going to go all over, Chicago, Albany, all of our churches have communities with people that are filled with sheep with no shepherd. And as a church and as the people of God, we have to have compassion and concern for these people, just like Jesus did. We're supposed, watch this, on Sunday mornings, our job is not to sit and get. Our job is to gather and scatter. Not to sit and get, but to gather and scatter. Our job is to come here today to get the assignment so that we can go on like Jesus and see who we can be concerned about. Lord, who can I be concerned about today? Lord, who can I have compassion for today? And here's our third one and last one. Jesus was sent out a challenge. If Jesus was here today speaking to us, not only would he tell us, that we need to be concerned for our neighbors. Not only would he tell us that we need to have compassion for our neighbors, but Jesus would leave his message with us this morning with the challenge. Look at the next slide in this verse 37 and 38. He says, the harvest is great and the workers are so few, he told his disciples. Please underline that. Jesus was talking to me and you. He wasn't talking to the guy standing on the corner. He wasn't talking about the homeless man who has nowhere to go. He's talking to his children, his disciples. He's telling us the harvest is plenty, but none of us are showing up. We're saying, where are the people in the church? The people in the church are outside because we want to come to church and worry about the word. Instead of gathering and scattering, we want to make sure we can come and get and sit. He's telling us. The harvest is plenty. The workers are few. But look what he says. So if we're in this position, now he's answering it for us. So we're all saying, okay, God, there's only so few of us and so much to be done. What do we do? Listen to what he says. So pray to the one in charge of the harvesting. Pray to the one in charge of hiring. And ask him to recruit more workers for his harvest field. To everybody in this room today. Remember this if you don't remember nothing else I said. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. He's given this challenge. And here's the challenge I want to give you that comes from Jesus. As we begin this mission, our job is, Bishop's goal is he wants to plant 52 churches in nine years. That's my job. My job is to basically go around the country to find people in communities where there are a bunch of sheep and no shepherds. And say, listen, what are we going to do, people of Akron, Ohio? What are we going to do, people of Cleveland, Ohio? What are we going to do, people of Boston, Massachusetts? Are we as the Christians going to just stand here and watch sheep continue to get slaughtered? 
are we going to come together and make sure every community in the United States has a shepherd who has a heart to care for the sheep? Here's the last few slides. And Mike, you probably know this song, and most of you all know this song. Old hymn. Look at the words. The Lord has need of workers to till his field today. So kindly he has led me to walk in wisdom's way. I pray for grace to help me with all my heart to say, Oh, blessed Savior, count on me. Look at the next slide. Count on me. Count on me. For loving-hearted service, glad and free. Yes, count on me. Count on me. Oh, blessed Savior, count on me. Next slide. 